We're turning in the Word of God again to Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 6. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And then we'll turn back to Matthew, chapter 12, just for a moment. Matthew, chapter 6, the verse 19, the Word of God says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In Matthew chapter 12, the verse 35 that we referred to earlier, Savior again speaking, he says, A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. Amen. And may the Lord bless in the reading of his word this morning. Let us seek the Lord, and let us pray for his blessing to be upon the preaching of his word, and for his spirit to move as uh, we consider uh, that word together. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, and we thank Thee for the Savior. We thank Thee for His teaching, for His preaching, some of which we have recorded for us here in Matthew's Gospel. And we thank Thee, Father, for these words of Christ, words that seek to direct us, to command us, to not focus upon the things of this world, but to look at that which is heavenly and that which is eternal. And Father, as we come to Thy Word this morning, we do beseech Thee that we would not focus upon that which is earthly, that our minds would not be distracted by earthly things today, but that Thou would close us in with Thyself, that we would see what Thy Word is teaching us here, that Thou would apply it to our hearts, that we would be blessed by Thee. And Father, we would not only be instructed, not only be challenged, but encouraged through Thy truth. And Father, apply it to us. Give us help, we pray. And we think of those outside of Christ, and oh, how these verses apply to them. How these truths apply to us who are thy people. Father, we pray thou would work in our midst for the honor and glory of thy name. We rest upon thee. We ask thee for that help. And we pray that thou would glorify thy name. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. <coughs> Amen. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, uh, the Pharisees made the blasphemous accusation that the Lord Jesus Christ cast out devils by the power of the devil himself. And such a statement shows forth to us uh, that uh, the Pharisees had hearts that were dark and hearts that were wicked. The Pharisees were a strict religious sect of the Jews, and they were very hypocritical in the way in which they lived and applied the Word of God. And they were, as it were, to be set apart, 
to be separated, to live for God. But yet what we find is that they were not truly separated unto God. And in Matthew 12, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of the good tree bringing forth good fruit and the corrupt tree, the evil tree, bringing forth evil or corrupt fruit. Verse 33. And in verse 34, he directs his attention to them, and he says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us that the true state of the heart, the true state of our heart, cannot be hidden. And the heart of the Pharisee could not be hidden. They appeared to be godly. We read how they loved to pray in the streets, to publicly show forth a godliness externally. But in their hearts there was corruptness. There was hypocrisy. And that could not be hidden. Again, directing attention to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, the Savior said, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The Pharisees were the religious leaders within the land at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Matthew 9, verse 36, we read of Christ looking at the multitudes, and we see the loving and the compassionate heart of the Savior because He looks at these multitudes, and as He sees them, He sees that they are fainting. They were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. There was plenty of religion in Israel, plenty of religious leaders in Israel, but yet the people were scattered abroad as sheep without a shepherd to care for them, to feed them, and to provide for them. The English preacher and the commentator John Gill said that the scribes and Pharisees were shepherds indeed, such as they were, but very bad ones. And he went on to show that those who fed themselves, those who strengthened not the diseased, those who not healed the sick. And he continues. And this was the spiritual scene when the Lord Jesus Christ exercised his ministry in the land of Israel. And of course, that reminds us of prophecies in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 23, and uh, we read here a righteous indictment of the shepherds, but yet there's a wonderful promise from the Lord that He, the chief shepherd, will provide for the flock. In Jeremiah 23, it says, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. And then He moves on. He says he will drive them away. And then he says, I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall be, they be lacking, saith the Lord. The Lord loves his people. The Lord loves his flock. And here the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 12, despite what the Pharisees were doing, is showing forth love and instruction and showing the people here where their attention ought to be, where their attention ought to be. And he says in verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. In other words, the treasure that is within a man's heart, that which he takes, that which he stores up, that with which he fills his heart, points him in a particular direction, either toward good or toward evil. 
And the Pharisees, despite their religious words, despite their position, did not have the good treasures of the heart. If we turn back to Matthew chapter 6 in the verses 19 to 21, we see the Lord Jesus Christ declares in verse 21 that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And where is your heart today? As you sit in this service, where is your heart? And don't say it's in your chest about here or wherever it might be. I'm not a medical doctor. I think it's around here somewhere. But we're not talking about the physical heart. We're talking about the seed of your emotions. We're talking about your heart in a spiritual perspective. Where is your heart? What is stored up within it? What is the treasure of your heart? What are you living for? What is your life consumed by? When we look at the first century religion in Israel, the Pharisees, they looked good, but they were internally corrupt in their hearts as they starved the people of true religion. And what is Christ telling these people who lived in that situation to do? He says, invest in eternal treasure. Live for the heavenly kingdom. Rise above that hypocrisy and that wickedness and the falseness of the Pharisees and lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I know how applicable this is in our generation. We see a spiritual dearth across the world. We see it locally. We see it nationally. We see it globally. But that spiritual dearth is not to influence us in a negative way. We're not to say the world is going in this direction. The world has very little time for true religion, true Christianity. The world has very little time for the commandments and the directions God has given us in Scripture. Therefore, well, we'll follow their direction. The world is not to influence us because our focus and our treasure is not the world. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole thrust of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord Jesus Christ sweeping aside the low and hypocritical standard of the Pharisees and re-emphasizing God's divine and holy standard for mankind. The Pharisees were concerned with externals, looking good, being religious, being holy, but yet God is concerned about the heart. If the heart is right, then the externals will follow. And as we tie these two verses together, or these several verses in Matthew 6 and Matthew 12, I want to consider this subject this morning, investing in eternity. Investing in eternity. And there are three ways, three things that we must do, that you must do, to invest in eternity. And remember in the context that is around us, this evil context, we have religious leaders here in the land of Israel who were not spreading the true word of God, who were failing in, in many ways because their heart was not right before God. And when we look at this world, whether it's the religious scene or the political scene, we see hearts that are not right with God, or the actions of hearts that certainly are not right with God. But we need to focus upon ourselves. Are you investing in eternity? Is your focus or treasure the Lord Jesus Christ? 
And firstly, I want you to see that you must experience Christ's salvation. You must experience Christ's salvation. To invest in eternity, well, firstly, there must be a foundation of Christ. You must experience His salvation. In Matthew 12, the verse 35, the Savior speaks about a good man who brings forth good treasure out of his good heart. Matthew 6, the Savior contrasts laying up treasure in heaven to laying up treasure in earth. And there are some thoughts that come out of these verses that we must understand and acquaint ourselves with. And unsaved person this morning, those who know not Christ, this is what you need to consider. To invest rightly in eternity is to consider these things that I'm about to say and act upon them. Dear believer, these three thoughts must always be in our minds. We can get so easily sidetracked into things that are of little importance. But these three thoughts are fundamental to our understanding that if we are to invest in eternity, we must experience Christ and His salvation. And firstly, we see in Matthew 6, earthly treasure is temporal. Earthly treasure is temporal. Verse 19 tells us, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. And how true that is regarding earthly things. How often have you been in a shop and you've noticed something and you've liked it and you think that would be great in my house or a great thing to use and you purchase it and then as time goes by it gets worn and eventually you make the decision that despite your love for this, it has to go. It has to go. Rust corrupts, thieves break through and steal earthly treasure is temporary. The Lord Jesus Christ is dealing in verse 19 with what the Puritan Matthew Henry referred to as worldly mindedness. Worldly mindedness. He said it is a common thing. He says it is a fatal symptom of hypocrisy. Focusing upon the things of this world at the expense of Christ looking at the things of this world, desiring the things of this world, seeing earthly treasure as that which is most essential to us and to you. And verse 19 brings us to the reaction of God, to the ideology and thinking of this world toward wealth and possessions. In the logic of atheistic man, his life will one day end. There's nothing for him after death. And so life, therefore, is really about him, about what he wants, about what he desires, about enjoying himself, about his best life now. I think that might be a quotation from a prosperity preacher, but yet it's very atheistic in its thinking. Our best life, because we only have one life, because we will die, that's the end, the pure end. Nothing else will happen after death, they believe, and therefore life is all about us. It's about what we can achieve. It's about what we can do. Gaining these possessions, enjoying these possessions. And how many think like that today? And this is a thinking that has penetrated the church. Wealth and possessions make man happy. Wealth and possessions that we must focus upon. We must have that comfortable life instead of being focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But John said in 1 John 2 verse 15 that we are to love not the world. 
nor the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And why did he say that? Well, firstly, our priority should be upon Christ. We should love Christ. But he said this because the world's treasures are temporal. They last but for a season. We see their temporary nature, moths and rust and thieves breaking and stealing. And the Savior is saying that that earthly treasure which many value, which many pursue with all the effort of their lives, is a fleeting thing. It's temporary. It does not last. You may say, well, if you go into the museum, the museums of this world, you'll see treasure from thousands of years ago. It lasts. Men devote themselves to digging up the treasures of old civilizations, and they see the gold and they see the wealth. It is temporal. Those who possess such things are long gone into God's eternity. And one day, whether those treasures are dug up or passed from generation to generation, they too will one day pass away. Our association with them is not lasting, and their association with this world is not lasting. It will end. The treasure is also in danger from those who covet and desire it and will do everything they can to take it from you. Thomas Adams the Puritan said that wealth is like a bird. It hops all day from man to man as that doth eh, from tree to tree, and none can say where it will roost or spend the night. In other words, the wealth of this world is always moving. It's always eh, in fluctuation. It's always fluid. One day a man will be rich, the next day he will be poor, and another man will be rich. And so on, and so on. These riches are temporal. It's not wrong or sinful to have riches. Scripture and history tells us many who were believers, who were rich and wealthy, and used those things to the glory of God. It's how they were used to God's glory. But the thrust here by the Savior, he's not saying don't have a bank account. Don't have a home. Don't have a car. Don't have uh, something that is valuable to you in life. But your priority is not these things. It is not these things. Your focus must be the heavenly treasure, not the things that will one day pass away. Oh, how many live their lives for things that have no meaning and no value in God's plan for this world. Riches are the blessing of God. They should be used to glorify Him. They should not be that selfish, that self-centered enjoyment without any thought of God. The, the earthly things in this world are not the best things. They're not the most valuable things. We are not to covet them. We are not to have an abundance of them. We're not to confide in them. We're not to content and satisfy ourselves in them, for they do not last. And that is something that we must all understand. Dear unbeliever, this is crucial to your understanding of the world for its riches, its wealth, its possessions, and indeed its population will one day pass away. It will be gone. And people spend their lives in pursuit of things which will one day account for nothing. And then that day comes, what if your soul... What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, the Savior said, but he loses his own soul? 
The soul that has amassed something of this world's riches, the soul that has loved the things of this world, where will that soul be? The rich man in Luke 16 died. He lost his life. He lifted up his eyes. The Bible tells us he lifted those eyes up in hell, being in torments being in torments. In Luke chapter 12, the Savior speaks of a rich farmer as well. We won't turn to it just for the sake of time, uh, but that was the man who ripped down his barns to build greater. He planned for the future. He was going to eat, drink, and be merry, and God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And those riches were left behind. They were left behind. Oh, the things of this world— are temporary. They're temporary. Do not place your trust in them. Do not place your hope, your joy in them. But then secondly, we see here that heavenly treasure is eternal. Heavenly treasure is eternal. Moving into verse 20, the Savior says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. The treasure of this world is open to loss but yet there is a treasure that cannot be lost, a treasure that is not corrupt, a treasure that will never, never be destroyed. Treasures in heaven. There's a direct contrast here, a blessed contrast. And our purpose in life, therefore, is to lay up heavenly treasure. That's our priority. That is what we ought to be doing. That is ultimately essential for each of our lives as believers to lay up this earthly treasure, those who are unsaved to look to Christ as the foundation of your faith and your life and your Savior, and to build up this earthly treasure. We'll consider more about this laying up in a moment, but let me emphasize in regard to the need for salvation to invest in eternity— you must realize and recognize that heavenly treasure is eternal. It lasts forever. The heavenly treasure of Christ that changes your heart, that changes your soul, because you've turned from sin and you're looking unto Him. A treasure that is not earthly. It can never be corrupt because it is a treasure that is Christ a treasure that is all about Christ and what He has done. Matthew Henry said, It is our wisdom to lay up our treasure in those treasures, to give all diligence to make sure our title to eternal life is through Jesus Christ, to make sure that is the treasure that is being laid up. It's an eternal treasure. It's a treasure that was bought with a great price, the incorruptible blood of the Savior. For Peter tells us, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but, but ye were bought, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish, blemish and without spot. Paul spoke of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh, the great depth of wealth, the great depth of treasure that is found in Jesus Christ alone. But this world will mock that, and they will laugh at Christ, and they will laugh at the lovely Son of God and the richness found within Him. Oh, how they will lift up 
their wealth and their riches and their pleasures and their sin above the lovely Son of God. Christ is worthless in their eyes. For all these things are more precious and more valuable as treasures of the heart. Oh, is that your thinking this morning? That Christ, the Son of God, is not worth as much as the things of this world. Oh, that you would look to Christ and see that He is everything you need, whether that is in this world or whether that is in the world to come. Christ is everything that you need. He is your hope, your anchor, your rock, your salvation, your eternal salvation. Our expectation of the world then is that they will cast down the Son of God. They'll trample over Him. They have no regard for Him. That's what we expect the world to do with the most precious treasure it could ever know. Utterly reject the Son of God and the work of Christ. But yet we find believers who claim and profess Christ to be their Savior, yet their heart is not fully fixed on Him. They want the security of forgiveness. They want heaven. They want eternal peace, but yet they still desire something of this world. Does that describe you? A foot in desire in the world and a foot in Christ just to have that peace of mind. Where does your heart truly lie? Matthew 6 verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Ye cannot serve God and the wealth and desires of your heart. You cannot split yourself and store up these two treasures. Christ must be first. Christ must be first. And when we think of this treasure within the heart. In general, we could place everything spiritual and heavenly and eternal under this thought of heavenly treasure, because this is what is in view here. There's a blessed treasure found in Christ, spiritually, heavenly, eternally. And it's a treasure that you must possess in order to invest properly in eternity, to look to Christ, to trust in Him, to believe in Him, to possess that treasure. And then thirdly, here under this heading, we have the thought that men are either good or evil. Matthew 12, the verse 35, speaks of a good man and an evil man and the treasure of their hearts. And the Savior there in Matthew 12, verse 35, sets out this truth that men are either good or evil. There's no in-between. The treasure within the heart of man determines whether his actions and his words are good and evil. That good treasure of Christ will bear witness to the treasure of Christ within the heart. And the man who's invested in the treasure of this world has invested in an evil treasure, then his actions cannot be good. And again, the words of Christ are here in contrast to the attitude of the world, as in most men and women are good. That's what the world will say. We're all good. There's some good within us all. Now, there can be exceptions. Men who the world classes as totally evil, but in general, regarding us, well, there's some good in us all. Man does not want to see himself as evil, as wicked, as sinful. 
But you're either good or evil. You cannot be both. Many years ago, a minister spoke to me about a man in his church, a church I knew quite well. And this man had passed away. It was his responsibility to conduct the service. And it turned out that through my work, I knew who this man was. I didn't know him through church, but I knew him through my work. And I was most surprised to hear that he attended this church. I'd never seen him. And he saw this church as his church. But yet, I never saw him. And I realized during the conversation that this man, while he associated himself with this church, the only time he had ever stepped foot across the door in many, many, many years was his own funeral service. Outwardly, he claimed this was his church, yet he wasn't there. What was the treasure of his heart? During his life, it was not a treasure that drove him to the house of God, that drove him to be with the people of God, that drove him to hear the Word of God, a treasure that enabled him to be a witness for Christ in his family and in his community. Because if he died as he lived, it was a treasure that was not of Christ. Not of Christ. Your words about a so-called religious or Christian life that you may claim to have, or your actions, even if that action is faithful attendance. All these things are hollow and empty and hypocrisy if there is not that good treasure within your heart. Oh, how many say they are Christians because their family are Christians? How many say they are Christians because they attend church? How many say they are Christians because they do good works? But it's the treasure that defines. The treasure of the heart defines that which you are. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says there, The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. And where is your heart today? Where is your heart today? The Savior spoke of a man who sought pearls, he found one pearl of great price. He went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Dear believer, dear unsaved person, that great treasure, that pearl of great price, is it not the Lord Jesus Christ? Go out, sell all that you have, buy Christ. Make him your purpose in life. All the treasures of this world are nothing in comparison. Set aside worldly desire. Set aside all the things that you desire in this world and buy the pearl of great price. Because it is Christ that makes men good. Verse 35. The good treasure of the heart. Is it not Christ? Is it not his salvation? Is it not what Christ can do? We go much deeper into these things, but in general, the good treasure is a treasure that has its origin in Christ and His salvation. If you want to invest in eternity, your heart must be right. Your heart must be right toward God. Where is your treasure? Earthly things are heavenly things. Your heart determines that. Where is your heart? Matthew 6, the verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But secondly, I want you to see 
that in order to invest in eternity, you must obey Christ's command to lay up treasure. You must obey Christ's command to lay up treasure. Moving forward from uh, the thought of needing salvation and looking at this from the perspective of the believer, to invest in eternity, to invest in spiritual matters. We must obey the command of Christ to lay up treasure. Verses 19 and 20, we'll read verse 20 again. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And verse 19 has that phrase, lay not up for yourselves. And so there is a contrast here. Lay up, lay not up. And the Greek means to amass. It means to reserve. It means to store. And what is the view here? Men do store and reserve riches and goods. Provision must be made for the future. Joseph made future preparation for the famine in Egypt. And not once in Scripture do we find the suggestion that reserving such earthly things was sinful. It was necessary. We need to store up goods and wealth for times when it may be needful. But the focus must always be upon the glory of God. The lens must be fixed upon Him. Our attitude toward these things must be governed by Christ. Therefore, the things of this world matter much, 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 much less or not at all compared to the lovely Son of God. And Christ's statement here is not a command to not lay up treasures in this world, but not to be fixated or obsessed by them. We are commanded to lay up treasure in heaven. Verse 20. Not merely to know Christ, but to pursue Christ and his treasure, to store up and reserve that treasure, to fill your heart with that treasure. When I was thinking of this, of storing up this treasure I remembered something from my childhood. I was a very, very young child, four or five years of age, and I remember watching a cartoon. I think, I think it was DuckTales. One of the characters had a massive tower of vault that was filled with gold. And what he loved to do was, I remember seeing he swam through the gold as a young child. I was thinking, how is this possible? How can you swim through gold? Because in real life, you swim through water. And as I grew older, I realized that the laws of physics within a cartoon are very different to the laws of reality. But he stored all his gold, this massive vault filled with all his riches. A believer, our heart is to be like that, not with the gold of this world, not with cartoon gold created by men, but with Christ. There is this vault within our hearts that is to be spilling over with Christ and with His love and with, with our actions with our words that speak of Christ. He is to be the one who is stored, but not merely stored, but used in living for Him. We can use our earthly riches in heavenly ways. That is important for us. Uh, but our focus is on heavenly and spiritual treasure itself. And laying up this treasure as in our heart this big vault filled with Christ, 
It implies a carefulness. It implies diligent behavior. It is not an easy thing. Think of earthly treasure. It's not that easy to save. It's not that easy to store things. It's not that easy to prepare for the future, as it were. But when we think of spiritual treasure, we cannot just sit back and let it happen or hope it happens. We are to strive after it. We're to strive after it. Consider the context again of these passages. The Pharisees, their doctrine of works, their failure to be godly shepherds, to lay up heavily treasure, and to exalt Christ through that treasure would be to ignore them and to ignore their man-made rules and to ignore their failure. They were to look to Christ alone for this treasure. And of, Christ, and of course, Christ uses men and instruments to feed his people, and they were to look to those whom Christ would use to feed and care for them and to help them regarding the storing of this treasure. But ultimately, they were to look to Christ alone, not to men, to Christ. And as they looked to Christ, there had to be that diligence. There had to be that a carefulness as they sought to store up that treasure within their hearts. How do we seek to store up this treasure? The devil seeks to take it away, but we store it up through the means of grace. The means of grace build up treasure. The Westminster Confession of Faith says the grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their soul, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. And ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word— this is salvation, and then by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments, the Lord's table, this baptism, and prayer, so by the word and by the sacraments and by prayer, it is increased and strengthened. And so our faith in Christ is strengthened by the means of grace, the Lord's table, baptism, prayer, the word of God read and heard, and, dear believer, if you desire to invest in heavenly and spiritual treasure, then the means of grace must be attended to for your souls. There's prayer, there's meditation, praying, finding that secret place to seek the Lord, reading His Word, hearing the preaching of His Word. Moving on, we could think of good Christian company as well being surrounded by those who love the Lord. How many young believers have been led astray by associating with company and friends whose priority is not to store up spiritual treasure, but to store up earthly treasure? Oh, how easy it is to want to fit in, to move away from Christ and from His church because of the influence of others. Seek out those who will encourage you to store up heavenly treasure, those whom you can encourage to store up earthly treasure. Dear, dear believer, this is a command of Christ. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. That's not to be our focus. That's a command for that not to be our focus. And the command then is to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's a difficult work. It's a hard work. It's something we must be diligent at. It's something we must know the help of Christ to do.
to set aside the treasures of this world to live for him and for his treasures. And then finally, I want you to see that in order to invest eternally, you must be sanctified by Christ's treasure. You must be sanctified by Christ's treasure. Moving back to Matthew chapter 12 and the verse 35, it says, A man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. It's a Puritan preacher who said that a treasure in the heart vents itself in the life. A treasure in the heart vents itself in the life. And we see that in verse 35. If it's an evil treasure, it's evil actions and an evil man. If it's a good treasure, it's good actions and it's a good man. And this is the point here. The effect of our heart treasure within our lives will be seen. A good treasure within the heart will send forth good things. The sanctified heart is a blessed heart. And dear believer, that should be our desire. Verse 35, that we would be that good man, that good woman, who out of the good treasure of the heart that is Christ, and all that Christ is, and all that Christ is doing, bring forth good things. Good things. Our heart should be so filled with Christ and His love, Christ and His salvation, Christ and His gospel, Christ and His word, that they are overflowing. And this world is benefiting through strong believers who have a desire to share the greatest treasure in the world. Believers who love the souls of those who are lost. Believers who are determined to live for Christ alone because Christ is that treasure that is found deep within their hearts. Oh, how easy it is for a Christian to hinder the message of the gospel, to say something, to turn someone off, or to act in such a way. I've been around long enough and around churches long enough uh, to hear of things that have happened, business schemes, businesses uh, being uh, bankrupt or whatever it may be, Christian businessmen who have struggled. And as a result, there's much, much ill feeling concerning Christ and concerning the gospel because of actions that have hurt others. Sometimes these things can be unavoidable, but sometimes they can be. They can be. And we must take care that in all we do, in all that we say, that there are good things coming forth from that good treasure. Seeking Christ, seeking Him to mortify our hearts, to put to death that sin that can so easily beset us to rise above it by the help of God. Our lips speak to the world of Christ, but not merely with gospel words, but with interactions of grace and love, words that do not curse men and do not curse God. The Song of Solomon, uh, verse 11 of chapter 4 says, Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue, and the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. Looking at that just on the surface without looking at it any further, the smell of Lebanon must have been a good smell. And maybe they were thinking of the cedars of Lebanon, the greenery, the trees. Uh, but whatever it means, there's a good smell. A good smell. There's milk. There's honey. There's honeycomb. 
The lips are like that. And dear believer, from the spiritual perspective, that is what our lips are to be like. Because verse 35 applies to us. If we have that good treasure in the heart, there'll be good things. Good things. Our actions should be godly and gracious. Our actions should show piety and love and godliness toward the Lord. If Christ is our treasure, we will not be fixated on the things of this world, but heaven is our eternal home. We live for heaven. Uh, we live for our eternal home. We live for Christ. If Christ is the treasure of our heart, uh, then uh, as we are sanctified and as we learn and grow and store up more treasure, there's encouragement from the Lord. There's comfort in our trials. Riches can provide a certain comfort. Riches can pay for medical attention. Riches can pay uh, for things we may physically need. But riches cannot prevent death. Riches cannot give peace and a lasting comfort. But yet the treasure of Christ gives us a great peace. A preacher once said, the real measure of our wealth is how much we would be worth if we lost all our money. If we lost everything, how much would we be worth? Absolutely nothing, yes. But in regard to who we are as a person and who we are through Christ and the treasure of Christ within our hearts, what would we be worth? A treasured soul is of great worth. It speaks of Christ and God's workmanship. It comforts us. It helps us. It enables us to serve the Lord. A soul filled with the treasure of Christ is God's delight. A treasured soul, a soul filled with the treasure of Christ can live in the time of spiritual dearth, as an old Puritan said. Is that not what we see here? The Savior speaking about spiritual dearth, the Pharisees, and the spiritual dearth that was upon the land. But yet our soul that is filled with the treasure of Christ it enables us and helps us in a time of spiritual dearth to live and to serve the Savior. John Flavel, the Puritan, said this, and with this uh, we'll close. Christians have two sorts of goods, the goods of the throne and the goods of the footstool. Immovable goods, unmovable goods. And where is your priority this morning? Is your priority upon the movable treasure of this earth or the immovable treasure of heaven? Where does your heart lie? Does it lie with Christ? Does it lie with him and his treasure? Is your heart filled with his treasure? Or is your heart filled with evil things? Evil things that will not bring you a home in heaven, but bring you the wrath of God. May you look to him. May you possess that treasure. May you invest in eternity. May God bless his word for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. For eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word this morning. We thank thee for this treasure that is Christ. This treasure that is a blessed treasure. A treasure that we pray would be overflowing in all of our lives. 
Father, we remember those who do not have this treasure, who do not possess Christ, who've never trusted His salvation. Father, we pray that they would lay up treasure in heaven by turning to the Savior. Father, that we as Thy people would lay up that treasure by living for Thee, by serving Thee, that that treasure that is found even within our hearts would be that of Christ, that the treasure of the world would have no value for us but the treasure of Christ. We pray that Thou would bless us, bring us again to Thy house this night, bless our brother as he brings Thy truth. And Father, may we have a blessed day in the presence of our God. We do pray. May the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with us both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.